Hello and welcome to another episode of the Creative Waffle Podcast, a design and craft podcast by Blue Did Design and your host, Mark Hirons. Today on the show, I am talking to Dominique Faller, a British-born Australian craft weaver, teacher, author and public speaker. Dominique's work is mainly DIY-based, and this is why I wanted her on the show. I wanted to chat to other people other than logo designers to get a different perspective on creativity. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. I hope this is a slightly different, unique look at creativity in the creative industry. Someone who comes from a slightly different background to uh, my normal guests. So without further ado, I will introduce Dominique Faller. How are you? I'm very well. It's starting to get warm here. Yeah, so you're, you're over in Australia. Um, how, how warm is it? Yeah, not that warm yet, but it's coming. It, we keep getting hot days and then it cools down again and you think, oh, relief. And then it gets hot again and you're like, oh, it's coming. <laughs> but yeah, December, January, February are the worst for heat and sweating. Yeah. So it's still pretty nice at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it's absolutely freezing over here in the, in the UK. It's um, like frosty morning. Um, so yeah. Where, where are you? Uh, in the north? No, near London. Um, so I'm down oh, south. Really? Yeah, yeah. Not too far away it's from. Frosty already. Yeah, yeah. This is one of the first frostier mornings, and it's a really nice, clear blue sky. So, um, yeah. yeah. So you, you're probably used to that. You, you grew up in Brighton, and um, then moved to Australia. Yeah. How's that? How's that transition? Like, was it like going from really cold to to warm? Well, we actually, and we we when we emigrated, we came in December, so we literally left freezing and yeah. arrived in scorching and so all of us got really really sick really quickly right um and we arrived in melbourne which surprises a lot of people but it can actually get pretty cold but it also gets pretty hot so a lot of people when they come from the uk they don't pack enough clothes for a melbourne winter because it's it's pretty cold you need you know beanies and gloves and stuff but yeah we arrived in the middle of a 42 degree summer do you do centigrade or fahrenheit uh fahrenheit yeah Uh, oh yeah so it's like a hundred a hundred (laughs) <laughs> no, wait, wait, Fahrenheit, cent- I don't know, we do one of them, yeah, <laughs> so it might be centigrade, yeah, well. but yeah, <laughs> can't believe it, yeah. yeah. I think it's centigrade, in, yeah, in America I have to get used to calling it Fahrenheit. Yeah, it must be centigrade, but, um, yeah. Yeah, no, that was a, a while ago, so I've kind of acclimatised a little bit now. Yeah, but I still, I still hate hot weather. <laughs> <laughs> And that was that was when you were really young. Air yeah, I came out when I was twelve. So cool. I came from Nottingham, so I talked like that. I had Bath and Laugh, had a bit of an accent like that. <laughs> <laughs> but I got got rid of it pretty quickly. Yeah. But um, yeah, I born in Brighton, grew up in Nottingham, and then spent a lot of time in Melbourne. And now I live near Byron Bay, which, if you look at a map of Australia, it's the easternmost point. Cool. So a lot of tourists come here. Yeah, I heard it's, it's quite nice. Holiday, yeah, holiday destination. Oh, it's beautiful. It's yeah. paradise. That's why I live here. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever miss the uh, the rain and the cold weather? Um, sometimes, yeah. No, I do. Yeah. When it's really like by by about January, my marker is Australia Day. So Australia Day is January twenty sixth. Okay. And it's the worst weather <laughs> of all time. It's just so horrible. You just have to run from the house to the car, get the air conditioning going, and then you can't touch the steering wheel because it's so hot. And then you just want to go to – everyone just goes to the movies because they want to be in a shopping center and stay yeah. cool. It's even too hot to go to the beach. So, yeah, around January, I think, you know, a trip to Scotland would be nice right about now. <laughs> awesome. We have to <laughs> but, come um, over. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of – I don't know. It, I'd like to be where it's 21 degrees at all times. That's my goal in life. Nice. 
Well, let's go on to the creative stuff. Uh, you, so you work with a lot of creative materials, um, like chalk, string, letterpress, pins, uh, buttons, and even on the computer as well. Like, what, what's been your favourite to work with? Ooh, um, I guess it's always the next one. Like, I get excited about when I find a new material, so I'm always excited about trying the next one. Yeah. But some memorable ones, probably food. I, I enjoy playing with the food, and I haven't really done much because there's a lot of other people out there like Becca Clarkson who are doing amazing things with food. So, you know, you'd be crazy to go in that territory, but I still enjoy it a little bit. Um, oh, and Danielle... Um, from Marmalade Blue, she does a lot of food as well. So, yeah, but I've when I have played around with food colouring, food dye, I did some cake, like a tactile cake, and I did some, yeah, just play, played with pizza and I played with pasta and I played with, you know, a few different food things. They're always a lot of fun. Um, but, yeah, whenever I find some new thing at a hardware store or at a craft shop, then I always get excited. I'm like, what can I do with this? So... Yeah, it's that's the fun for me is is the experimenting and seeing what it does. Awesome. I saw on the website um, you did a you did a play with flour, um, like is it gusto? Um, yes. And you had the vinyl and you peeled it off and like it's so precise. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like, did, did you have to do it twice or did it, that was that first time? No, one one time. I have to let you in on a secret though. There was some spray glue involved, so right. right. It, it, was not as magical as it might appear. <laughs> I did a um, I did a clever trick. I can't actually remember what the trick was, but I know spray glue was involved, and um, yeah, it, it turned out a lot better than you'd think. But um, yeah, that's kind of cheating. I see a lot of people moving food around with a skewer, and that's just that's going to take you for the rest of your life, and it'll yeah. never look good. So yeah, vinyl cut and spray glue is the magic answer. <laughs> nice, yeah, because it's it's just so like intricate, and it had a lot of uh, spirals and curls and waves, so. I was wondering how yeah. you did that. Um, so, you, you, well, I found you through your string work, um, like nails and string. How how did you get into that? Like, cause that's that's not that usual usual thing. No, no. Well, it's it's probably my fault that there's even any of it on the internet at all now. Because when I did it, there was zero. And now, if you look on Pinterest, you will find some crafty projects to do with string and nails. That's definitely my fault. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was just one of those. I don't know. I was. It was, you know, technique number 30. Like, I was just experimenting. So I was playing with different things and string and nails. I just remembered those things that, you know, you'd find in a – I don't know if you have them in the UK, op shops, you know, like like a shop where you dump all your clothes and then uh, people from the church sell it back to people, you know, to raise uh, money. So we call them op, op shops or opportunity shops. I don't know, junk – not junk shops, though. I don't know. Anyway, when you're recycling back to the community – um, if you go into those shops, sometimes in the 70s, you'd see like, you know, a silver thread on a black velvet kind of thing. So it was something that, you know, your your granny might have done in a craft class once. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I remember those. And so I thought I'd give it a go. But I actually hammered nails into a board because those old, the old fashioned ones used to be pins, like actual dressmakers pins, whereas I wanted it bigger and I wanted it on a board. So I hammered nails into a board. And then wound string, and yeah, the world lost its mind. Like everyone went crazy for it. So I hit on a winner. So I've done quite a few of those now. Clients, when they you know find me, it's usually through the string, and that's what they want to really, you know, do something different. Yeah. Do you do you enjoy that work? Obviously, because you've done a lot of it. So now does it get a bit boring, or do you do it still? Do you still find it entertaining? 
it's the entertaining part is the fact that it's usually something that's a different color or it'll be you know the logo or the saying or the, the words are different every time um but yeah the actual process once i start i know how long it's going to take and so you know once the fun part of playing with all the colors and the logo and everything is is done i know i'm in for like five days of <laughs> boredom but i actually um i use it to you know watch a lot of movies and things so i'll try That's and cool. set up you know in a, in a workshop where i can have my laptop playing films and things because i'm usually too busy to just sit down and stare at something for two hours yeah. and when the film finishes that's a good sign for me to get up and stretch because otherwise you get in the zone and then you've done five hours and you can't move <laughs> at all so it's kind of a good a good time wasting break thing but yeah no you, you know it's coming you know there's yeah. the middle of it where you go oh why am i doing this <laughs> <laughs> is this ever going to be finished <laughs> so but, um yeah it, we always get there with client, do you have any client feedback on those sort of things as well? Because it's like, I don't know, because obviously coming from a logo design background, you, you get a lot of feedback and you have to change things. Do you ever have to change things in that? Because I must imagine it's quite a lot harder when you're doing it with like physical materials. No, they, every time they think it's magical. Yeah. Yeah, like they just, because the designing part has always been approved beforehand. Right, yeah. And so, you know, all that stuff that clients like to fiddle around with, like, size and spacing and mm. shape and all those things you get signed off first so that that process still happens you still have to go backwards and forwards with the client to get it approved but once they're like yeah go for it it's going to be this big it's going to be these colors you know when they actually see it they just think it's like a magical transformation of something that they're quite familiar with and so they so far touch wood they they've all just yeah it exceeds their expectations every time and that's the, the magic of the technique awesome I mean, the base of your project seems to be typography as well. Like, how, how did you get into that, and um, what do you love the most about type? Yeah, um, it probably, I mean, I studied as a graphic designer, and probably the two things for me are images and words, and that's what a graphic designer communicates with. Um, and I was an illustrator for a long time, so I did about 13 years of children's book illustrations. Um, and for my master's study, I also illustrated, so I did design for a film. Um, and so when it came time to do my PhD, which is what a lot of this experimentation was for, I was well and truly over illustration. So I kind of turned to the other half of my practice, which is typography. And I've got to admit that when I was, um, when I was at university, I kind of didn't get typography. Like yeah. they'd all be passionate about it and they'd tell me about it and I'd be like, oh, I don't understand kerning and I just don't get it. I just want to draw pictures. Um, <laughs> so now that I'm, you know, I've gone through my picture drawing phase, I went back to all that passion about kerning and letter spacing and serifs and all that stuff and I really got into it. So I'm probably just as obsessed now with typography as I used to be with illustration. Cool. Um, and... Do you, do you ever find it um, tricky, the, the intricacy of, of typography sometimes? I suppose it's uh, like the kerning and stuff. Like when the, With the strings, does it ever make it difficult? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's the fun part is because if you've got a lot of detail and it's not very big, then, yeah, I mean, I'm poking in there with skewers and things. Yeah. Like your fingers can't even get in between the gaps and stuff. So, yeah, that's definitely the trickiest part is... It, the more words and the more twiddly bits and the smaller the piece, the mm. harder it gets. So if you're doing a really big, big wall, then that's super easy. But most of the time, um, a lot of my commissions are for 
uh, book jackets. So I've done a lot of book covers and things. And so they can only be a certain size, but they have to say, you know, the author name and the title of the book. And there's usually some little twiddly bits that are part of the illustration. And so, yeah, they're very difficult because they have to be a certain size because mm. I have to get them in my car and take them to the photo studio at the end because, you know, they've got to be turned into a book cover. Yeah. So I always joke, I joke with my husband that I can't ever buy a different kind of car because I have to know that my artwork will slide neatly in the back of it. So I'm just about to buy my third black Honda Jazz because I'm trapped with the same car. I've got, got this image. Of <laughs> because like, of the size of the artwork. Yeah, I've got this image of you taking the artwork to like a, a car studio and just sliding in, seeing if it works. <laughs> I would have to do that. Seriously, I literally would have to do that. I'd I mean, obviously I wouldn't take the artwork, but I would take a standard board that I use that are 1200 by 900. I would have to take a board and see if it fits. We had to take, we actually went on a road trip with my car to Sydney mm. with four artworks stacked and they had right. all the nails and the string and everything. And I had to actually drive them to Sydney because they were being used in a sort of um, a conference or something. So, mm. so yeah, the car thing is very important. <laughs> uh, so you're, you're writing a book. Is that, is that still great? Yes, definitely. Yeah. It's um, yeah, it's it probably two thirds finished, and then it's awesome. I've given a couple of um, presentations at conferences about the content, mm. and it's gone over really well. But it's actually occurred to me that the purpose of the book would then be to teach people the process, and I don't think the book is going to be enough. So I've started writing a course based on the book. So I'll be able awesome. to finish the book once the course is done. So yeah, it's kind of all the materials there. It's just a case of now structuring like a 12-week online course, and then the book will finish once that's done. So, yeah, it's pretty exciting, and I'm hoping to get that kind of done over the Christmas break. Cool. That's that's a really way of, clever way of, like, if you put them out together as well, that's awesome because it gives something sort of like a little, yeah, little bit right. extra, yeah. Um, so yeah. What, what's it about? So it's about, like, uh, sort of your or, uh, creativity being sort of a muscle, is that right? Yeah, so yeah. I have a theory which is not that unusual because I've heard of, you know, other people sort of say similar things, yeah. but no one's then ever taken it any further. And that idea is that, um, you know, just like when you you exercise, some people exercise because they know it's good for them. They're not necessarily planning on running the New York Marathon. You know, yeah. they're, they're not like an athlete, but they know that, you know, if they, if they walk the dog around the block a few times, it's going to be a good idea when they're, you know, wanting to build up fitness. And I have a sort of a theory that I've proven time and time again with my students that creativity works in exactly the same way. And so a lot of people who say, oh, I'm not creative or my sister is the creative one, um, all that means is that they've just been exercising their creativity muscles a lot more than you because every kid is creative. Like when you're born, you start playing with cardboard boxes and turn, you know, the couch into a pillow fort and you do all this kind of creative stuff and then you just stop using that muscle. It doesn't go anywhere. Mm. Um, and so the idea is that, you know, if people are wanting to be creative athletes, like I have to be, I have to be pretty fit all of the time in order to be able to, you know, Penguin rings me up and they need a book cover in two weeks. I can't kind of faff around. I've got to get in there. Yeah. But other people who, you know, they might be doing a really boring job and they are really kind of unfulfilled in terms of their creative output. Um, there are still basic exercises that somebody who, doesn't need to make money from creativity, can still do, and then they'll have a, a better time of it just as general all-around fitness. And so the book is aimed at, you know, a wide range of people, but you've got to sort of understand that, yeah, it's creativity is for everyone, and a lot of people 
who have let their creativity's muscles atrophy, you know, kind of think that then they've lost it somehow. And it's not a thing you lose. Just like you don't lose your leg muscles, they just get flabby. <laughs> <laughs> you start walking, they'll come back. <laughs> so what sort of stuff can people do if, if they are in a dead-end job, they're bored out of their mind and want to get yeah. a bit more creative? Like, what, what would your advice be? Well, there's lots of different exercises, and that's what the, the course would be about is actually right. sort of, you know, it's almost like a 12-week exercise program. And it's kind of like saying, you know, if I'm, if I'm unfit, what can I do? And so if you do a 1,000 sit-ups every day but nothing else, you're only going to work one muscle. So yeah. the idea is, a, you know, a wide range of exercises. But just like with ex- physical exercise, a good all-round exercise might be to just start walking. And so the equivalent kind of exercise with creativity and getting back into it would be just to start writing um, in your notebook. And so I always recommend that my students start with an A4 notebook. And I've actually got one here because I carry it with me on them you know, at all times. So it's literally like a, a kind of a, a journal with plain pages. And you can see that I fill those pages with writing. And this is an exercise a lot of people have got from a book from, I think it was in the 80s, this book was written and it was called The Artist's Way and it introduced this tool called Morning Pages. And so a lot of artists have been using this tool, but designers and musicians and, you know, art directors and accountants and housewives, anybody can be using this tool. And it's just where you write for um, three pages continuously every day and you don't edit it, you don't read it back, you don't care about punctuation, you don't care what it says. Mm. But it's kind of like you know, doing exercises. It's not like the exercise is going to get you anywhere, but you do the exercise for the sake of doing the exercise. And so writing in your journal every day, just 20 minutes whilst you're waiting for your coffee in the morning to be made or whatever it is, um, that's a good start. That gets you really grounded and and you can start to build up on top of that as you go. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely uh, good advice. And also sort of like a meditative uh, thing as well. Absolutely. It's good for calming because a lot of people have chatter brains. So, you know, if you're not writing anything down, you're trying to think your way to a solution or you've just got too many things in your head and you start forgetting things or you just, you know, you go round and round in circles thinking about what that person said to me and what I've got to get done tomorrow and why can't I do this and blah, blah, blah. You know, that chattery voice in your brain. If nothing else, the best thing about writing in your in your journal every day is that you clear that out. And so I find that the first page and a half when I'm writing is usually, you know, whinging and complaining, and then the second half is where I get to the good stuff. And it's a really good way to access your subconscious. A lot of people, especially when I get my students to do this, because they're, they're not very good at writing because they don't hold pens very often. They actually, you know, they type and they use their thumbs to scroll, yeah, double tap, yeah. whatever they're doing. But but they're not very good at holding a pen. And so when I give them a pen and some paper, they whinge loudly, can't I just type this? Um, And the answer is no, because actually when you're typing, you're using a different part of your brain than when you're writing. And so it's a real problem when people don't actually use, you know, a pen and paper, is that there's a whole way of accessing your creative subconscious brain that's lost to them. Mm. And so that's something that I'm really concerned about where, you know, they're taking handwriting out of primary schools and things. You're actually you're shutting down a, a way of accessing a creative part of your brain, and so some people are creative accidentally, or they might take drugs, or they might do you know all sorts of different techniques to kind of access their creativity. But the majority of us can just get straight in there and access our subconscious with a pen and paper. But if you're not used to that tool or you don't use that tool, then you're missing out. That's interesting. I didn't know that it was like a, a different part. And um, 
Like what? What's so different about it? Does it? Is it become more more free or, or yeah? What's so different? All I know is that when I talk, I'm accessing a different. You know, I use different words and I phrase right. things differently than when I type, and when I write is a third thing, and. You know, I'm much better at writing than I am at talking, where some people can talk beautifully and, you know, form beautiful structured sentences and yet their writing isn't so good. So I used to have a boss. He could talk, you know, I would literally just dictate, I'd get him to talk and I would write down what he was saying because if he sat down to write it, it just would, he'd freeze up. Yeah. So everybody sort of accesses different parts of their brain depending on, you know, which one they use the most, I think. And so I'm obviously better at writing than talking because I write more than I talk. Um but I think all three of those things are accessing different parts of the brain. And the way that I access my subconscious is definitely through writing without thinking, whereas I can't type without thinking. <laughs> I have to think in order to type. And so that's when I'm doing the more structured version. So if I'm like writing an essay or a, uh, you know, a paper or something, I might do the first brain dump onto paper with pen and then I'll actually refine it and edit it yeah. when I'm typing it. And then I'll actually refine it again when I sort of am presenting it verbally. I'll read it out as a speech and then I might re-edit it again a third time. So each of those three ways of generating words, essentially, you're generating sentences, they all access different parts of your brain. And so for me, the creative hub of your brain is in the subconscious um, and that's accessed beautifully by just writing continuous stream of consciousness. Awesome. I have to do some more writing. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, how do you define creativity? Is it well? It doesn't need defining, or is it different for other people? It's it's different for other people, and it's it depends on whether you. I mean, obviously, if your day job is being creative, that's a very different thing than if you have a non. You're not paid to be creative, but mm. you might you know love being creative in the kitchen, or you might work. Um, with kids or something and you've got to find ways to keep them entertained and so you're always coming up with you know, new new ways and new activities. So all of these things are creative activities. But the I think the conflict for people comes when people think that you should be original and that's where the problem comes. It's not, creativity is not about being original, creativity is about being novel. And what that means is it's if it's new for you, then you've been creative. And so a lot of people get disheartened when they come up with this amazing idea because they came up with it and then they realize, oh, someone else has already done that and so that shuts it down. But the fact is you came up with that using a collection of thoughts and processes in a completely novel way for you, therefore that's creativity. Just because you didn't then create something perhaps that was completely original on the face of the planet doesn't devalue the creativity. So it's about combining thoughts and ideas in a new way for you. That's that's an interesting point because the other day I was thinking about this um, sort of everything's been done before and I, I realised that we're born into this world which um, like every, everything's already here and we're learning about things that are already here so obviously no, yeah so obviously it's all all been done before um, anyway um, uh, so what sort of uh, I don't know when when's the when's the book going to be coming out sort of next year oh I'm or? hoping yeah next early next year is is the plan, but these things always take, you know, I mean, I've got a publisher involved and it's it's yeah. up to them in terms of when their publishing schedule is. But yeah, I'm really hoping that the sort of December, January, February months, as I'm mm. hiding away in the air conditioning, <laughs> is going to be my opportunity to, um, yeah, finish the course and then launch that with the, with a the book. 
So, cool. yeah, hopefully mid next year we'll see it. Cool, i look out for that. Um, what sort of uh, advice would you give to, to creatives out there and um, what's your number one tip for being creative? It's to be creative every day, even if it's only 20 minutes a day. So it's it's literally like that. I mean, I keep laboring the exercise metaphor, but you can't put off all of your exercise until the weekend, you know? You can't sit on the couch and be a slob all week and then do like seven hours of exercise on Sunday. You're going to pull a muscle, right? So creativity is exactly the same thing. It's little and often. And the people who say, I don't have time to be creative, literally 20 minutes a day, every day, something, anything, even if it's learning a new language or teaching yourself you know, make a new origami animal every day or something, you know, and then literally you've just got a little tiny snippet of creativity and then that'll build and you'll get quicker and faster and better at it. And by the, you know, the time you've got to the end of a month, instead of procrastinating and saying, oh, I've got to put it off until I've got time, mm-hmm. um, you've, you've made all these connections and you've done all these little bits and pieces. So that's definitely the advice. Cool. Um, uh, one thing I've, I forgot to mention before this question, cause that, that's normally my last question. I was going to, I forgot. Um, anyway, uh, what, what do you think of like sort of forced creativity when people have got these uh, jobs where they they are forced to be creative and turn things out quite quickly is it does that become a little bit of a problem and because and, I find like you're learning to just move things around you're learning the layouts and you know how to do it and you're just sort of doing that for different projects I don't I don't know when you're designing something when you're a designer especially a low end designer you, you're sort of you're not as creative you're more well from my experience anyway you're more just putting out different layouts and um yeah you're just part of the process yeah um yeah i mean look when there's when there are time constraints i mean it's like anything if you've got you've got to cook a meal and you've got to be out of the door in 10 minutes you're just going to microwave something aren't you like it's not going to be the world's best meal right um and so it's if that if all you're doing is eating microwave dinners then life's pretty miserable so it's about trying to find a balance with do I just go to my little set of standard go-to tools and techniques that I always use? And if you've only got 10 minutes and they're only paying $10, then, yeah, give them a, you know, slightly rearranged version of a layout that you've already done, of course. But after a while, if you're like, this is all I'm doing for this job, then you've got to ask, is there a way that I can inject a fresh perspective into this? So that means, you know, doing additional kind of exploration outside of that so you're not when you're not got the time pressure you do that additional exploration and then that might feed in some new innovative ways to do the same kind of things the other thing is to just mix it up and swap it around so it might be that if there's a couple of you in the studio you give each other if you're used to doing you know you do the monster truck layouts and the other person always does the kindergarten primary school layouts maybe for a day you swap and so you get to work on primary school and they get to work on the monster truck layouts and so even though there's only a certain amount of restriction, that freshness can somehow make it more interesting, even if you've got that just limited amount of time. But, yeah, definitely injecting something else from outside to try and kind of stimulate a new direction. Cool. I think that solves, solves a little bit of a problem uh, I'm having. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Glad I can help. <laughs> cool. Well, that's, that's pretty much it. Thanks very much for being on the show. Um, where can people say hello to you and say hi? <laughs> I'm pretty active on um, Instagram so at Dominique underscore Faller um, so even though I'm, I'm not posting a lot of work regularly if you tag me I'll generally answer or send a message cool. um, my website is DominiqueFaller.com and I'm sure you'll post that in the show notes yeah, but yeah I yeah. put all my sort of 
finished work there, but I'm trying over the break in particular to um, put a lot of more process and stuff on Instagram. So either of those places will find me. Cool. Well, thanks very much. Appreciate the time. Awesome. Thanks, Mark. Thank you very much to Dominique for being on the show. I really appreciate her time all the way from Australia. She has a really unique way of looking at creativity, and I totally agree with her. I think creativity is a, is like a muscle, and you do have to exercise it. I recommend going and check out her work. You can find her down below in the links. Um, also, if you're on YouTube, then please give us a subscribe. We're nearing that 300 mark. Um, I really appreciate everyone's listening and watching. Uh, so yeah, if you're on, if you are on YouTube, then please let me know who you, who you want to uh, be on the show and start with a conversation down in the comments. What you thought was the best piece of advice from this uh, from this podcast? Just the, the start of the conversation today. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something, and I'll catch you in the next episode.